What's up, everybody? This is the Tied to the Land podcast, where we believe that everybody is tied to the land in some way, shape, or form. On this podcast, we'll explore the intimate connection that people feel with the land beneath their feet while telling the stories of folks whose lives have been impacted by their roots to the rural lifestyle. This podcast is brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company, where their mission is to create, inspire, or advance a connection to the land in every person throughout the world. What's going on, everybody? This is the Tide to the Land podcast. I'm Andrew Schultz, and I've got a very special guest with us here today, my lovely wife, Julia Schultz. What's up, baby? Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. You're seeming a little nervous. You nervous for this? (laughs) I've never been uh, in front of a microphone like this before. In the studio with your hubby today. We're going to have a good one for you today, folks. Um, Julia here is a relatively new hunter relatively new to the outdoors in most ways, I would say. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit about our story today and your introduction to the outdoor lifestyle. And uh, hopefully you'll tell most of it from your point of view, and then I'll just chime in and tell you when you're wrong. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. (laughs) That's usually the other way around, right? You tell me when I'm wrong. I do, but you are right most of the time. It's a good woman, folks. That's a good woman. Not all the time. All right. So, babe, we had just started dating, and why don't you tell everybody about kind of some of our first interactions? I don't even know if we had met yet to this point, maybe FaceTimed, and Matt had shot a deer, and I love hearing you tell this story <laughs> of, like, what it was like, because this was really, when we talk about your introduction to the outdoor lifestyle, this was probably the first memory that we both can recall where you were like, oh boy, what am I getting myself into? Yeah. But actually, before we get into that, why don't you tell everybody about yourself a little bit? Okay. Um, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. Um, I'm a speech path in a nursing home, and I love the geriatric population. I've got two older brothers and my mom. They all live here in town, and um, I'm a very family-oriented person, and love dogs and now I love the outdoors and making memories with you so oh you're cute (laughs) sorry guys this is gonna be a little sappy at times Uh, (laughs) all right so going back to what I was talking about earlier tell everybody about that story of your real introduction to hunting in the outdoors so we hadn't met at this point it was actually our first phone call and I wanted to FaceTime you that night but you called me and you said hey I'm going to be running late. My brother just shot a deer on my farm and I have to help help him go get the deer and help him, you know, got it, whatever you had to do that night. And I remember thinking, go get a deer. What does that even mean? Because I'd, I'd never um, been a part of hunting or any of that process. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, we can just FaceTime afterwards. Like, what does that mean? You have to go get the deer. Well, we got to go track it and load it up in the truck, and we got to take it back and, you know, do all of that all of that process. So that was our, our first phone call, and then I was like, okay, he is a real hunter here. So so then you come over, and the deer's still there. And <laughs> Yeah, I came over, <laughs> what, two days later, I guess? And I don't think it was two days. It wouldn't the have next, been hanging It was there. the next the day. The next day. Yeah, it was after our first date. And the deer was hanging by the tractor. <laughs> the head was in the bucket. And I was like, oh, 
okay, what are you doing? <laughs> I had no idea the process of anything. So it was a, uh, it was an experience that day. For sure. Yeah. So to further elaborate on that, for those of you who are hunters, you probably understood that. But for those of you who aren't, you maybe didn't. So a lot of times you'll hang a deer so that you can skin it, debone the meat, you know, do whatever you're going to do with it. And when you hang that deer up, uh, there's blood that runs out of their nose and their mouth. And so you do the old bucket trick where you stick the bucket underneath their head and that catches the blood and keeps your, your garage floor clean or wherever you're hanging it. And that was like Julia's first vision of a, or first sight of a harvested deer. And mm -hmm. I was kind of like, well, we're going to find out real quick if this is going to work or not. <laughs> and, well, it uh, did. Here we are. And it so. did. Here we are. Recently <laughs> married. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad that I didn't run you off with the, the head in the bucket. So... We were close, but I was like, okay, I'll give him another shot. So, oh, it was like that. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, evolving from that, obviously, our, our dating early on, we were in the outdoors pretty quick and pretty often, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. what do you recall from that? What are some of your fondest memories? What was it about the outdoors that uh, maybe? drew you closer to me or maybe I drew you closer to the outdoors. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember from that? And this will actually be interesting for me to hear too. So some of your fondest memories or whatever gets you most excited. I remember, um, this was probably a month into dating you. Um, you had gone out several times to put out corn for the deer. And I know that's something so very small. Uh, public service announcement in Oklahoma, putting corn out and baiting is legal. Oh. So it's not legal in all states, but anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you invited me to go put out corn and I remember being so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, I get to go see the farm and go put out corn. And that was just a really fun experience for me. Um, but we started dating the very end of October and then quickly after that, it was duck season. And so I remember um, going out for our first duck hunt. It was Thanksgiving morning, I think. I was trying to recall that today. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't have very much experience with shotguns, or at that point I didn't. And so the first handful of times I just went and was, you know, I just watched and experienced that and watched you guys put out the decoys and um, just sat in the blind. And you were so sweet because you bought me a buddy heater for my feet. Um, worried about if I'd get too cold, but I did appreciate that. And we still use it to this day. Um, that was really, really fun and a, a cool experience because um, my uh, experience with the outdoors growing up and stuff was just kind of fishing. And we did a little bit of camping with my family when I was really young. And, um, so I didn't have that experience of going to hunt or, or do anything like that. And so duck hunting was a, a pretty big, like boost, you know, into exposing me to the outdoors. Um, and we did a little bit of deer hunting last year, but not much. Um, we were, I think that bless your heart, we were fo focused more on our relationship and stuff. So you didn't get to deer hunt, I think as much <laughs> as you probably wanted to, but, um, but yeah, that was kind of the introduction was probably more of duck season. And, um, and then you got me my first shotgun for Christmas. And after that, we, I was hooked for sure. Um, in the outdoorsy, you know, world and stuff and hunting ducks. And then now we're 
we go to the farm like every weekend um, or any any chance we get, you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think you said something earlier about the buddy heater, and it's so important when, in my opinion, when you're exposing women or children or really anybody new for that matter to the mm-hmm. outdoors, making them comfortable is so important because yeah. – you don't want them to go out there and freeze their butts off or have frozen toes or not be prepared for what yeah. they're about to have to endure. And so making a new hunter comfortable, I feel like is a make or break point for if they choose to continue to enjoy the outdoors, right. you know, at least right. at that level. And so that made me kind of smile just you thinking back to the buddy heater and being comfortable and how you appreciated that. And Absolutely. if you would have gone out there and frozen and been miserable, then maybe you wouldn't be as into hunting as you are now. And mm-hmm. I think that for all of you outdoorsmen listening out there, whoever you're trying to introduce to the outdoors, make it not only memorable, but make sure that person's comfortable in that experience too. Yeah. I, you've made me nothing but comfortable, even to this day, I am a little bit more experienced. Um, and I do have my own hunting clothes now. Last year, you you layered me up in extra hunting clothes that you had and made sure I was comfortable with anything that we did. And um, I kind of say this in my head a lot. I don't know if I've told you this, but I feel like I should create like a, a dictionary of all of the terms and hunting <laughs> knowledge and farm and everything outdoors that you've taught me because I think every day I ask you, what's that mean? Because I learn something new, like every single day from you. Like, And, from and the I outdoors. think it's important to know that goes to show you don't have to know everything there is to know about hunting or the outdoors to start experiencing this. I mean, it is a yeah. lifelong adventure of learning. Mm-hmm. And even myself, I'm still learning new things every day. And anybody who hunts could tell you the same thing or whether it's fishing or camping or whatever it might be. There's always something new to be learned. But, yeah, I can remember, like, where you started to where you are now. It's (laughs) it's night and day difference. I mean, how much you know now. I remember you, like, trying to wrestle a bag of corn for the first time. And now you just, like, you heave them like it's your full-time job, you know. Like, give me that knife. Let me cut that bag open. But it's, uh, it's so fun to witness. And now, fast forward and... We're married, and we're actually in the midst of making a move to the country, um, which is kind of the next step towards us, maybe eventually building on our farm that, that you're talking about. But mm-hmm. tell me what it's been like for you growing up in the city and pretty much living your whole life in the city. Mm-hmm. And Tulsa's a great city, um, so it's not like it's been a bad experience, but what changed for you when you experience the outdoors for the first time at the the level that we've been able to um now we're moving to the country or in the process of it Mm -hmm. and you know it's an exciting time for both of us i've lived in the country for essentially the last 10 years but sacrificed that (laughs) to uh marry you and um so we've been living in tulsa for a little bit but tell us why the country lifestyle after experiencing something totally different your entire life up Mm -hmm. to this point yeah like you said i i've lived in tulsa pretty much my whole life i lived in texas but still lived in the city for a couple of years and um when you're in the city you're surrounded by noise and lights and cars and traffic and 
um, you step out in the country and you hear you hear a, a great Pyrenees barking, you know, maybe in the distance or birds chirping, and um, you just really learn to appreciate God's creations and and what He's done for your life. And um, there's really nothing like it, you know, going from our home in Tulsa now and even just driving out, you know, where we're gonna move to, and there's peace and quiet, and you're just you just like stand in thankfulness and um, just admire like what ha- God has created and the life that we want to live um, in the country. You know, maybe having a chicken coop and vegetables and growing your own food and, you know, we have meat in the freezer and um, just really creating a life for ourselves. And, you know, it's just right outside Tulsa. It's an easy drive, and um, but it's just so peaceful and, yeah. So how has your family perspective changed? I mean, you've always told me that you saw yourself living an outdoor lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but never were exposed to it, never had the opportunity, whatever that might have been. But how has your family planning changed now after living the life that we have for, you know, the last year and a half or however long it's been? Mm -hmm. What do you want for the kids? What do you want to and making a home, what do you, what do you foresee compared to like, what did that look like 10 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I've always kind of, uh, dreamt of living, you know, in the country or on land. My dad always wanted that for our family. And I think that's kind of where I, I get it from is, you know, my dad and, um, what he instilled in us growing up. And, um, as far as us having children, God willing, I, I hope to, raise them in the country and be able to, you know, create a life for themselves, um, growing their own vegetables and, you know, hunting and fishing and being able to provide for themselves too. Um, and just teaching them the morals and values of the country lifestyle. So, yeah, you brought up your dad. Um, do you mind telling us about your dad? Yeah. Uh, he passed away actually this month. It'll be 21 years. Um, and, uh, I was 11 years old and it really just, uh, you know, threw a wrench in our plans that we had for our lives. Um, but we've always said that, uh, you know, God puts situations and, uh, everything happens for a reason and it's in his plan. And so I know that he's, he's with me every day. And I think that, you know, I, I do have a love for the, the country and the outdoors because of him. So. I'm very thankful for that, but always wish he was here, Yeah, especially to meet you. Well, yeah, that'd be amazing. I know that he's super proud of you, and I wanted you to touch on that because uh, we all go through heartache in our lives, and we all experience loss and suffering, and any time that I've experienced that, the outdoors has kept me grounded, mm-hmm. and I know that you talk all the time about how... Uh, you wish he could be here to experience some of the things we're experiencing uh, yeah. together and that he would be proud of you. And I know he is proud of you, but if he could be here in person to see the life that we're building mm-hmm. uh, rooted in the outdoor lifestyle. Yeah. And um, I think that if any of you are struggling with loss or any of you are struggling with hurt, um, the land and the outdoors, it truly is healing. It, it will nurture your soul and it will 
bringing you back down to reality. And I've seen it so many times where people get out there and especially folks who are new to it. And Mm -hmm. it's almost just like their breath is taken away. It takes, it takes you away from all the craziness of life. People move so fast and you know, they're going to dinner, they're going to events, they're going to this and that and just running themselves crazy. And then once you step foot, like in a duck blind or just out on the property, out on land, and you're not able to see the interstate and the cars going by and people holler in, you're just, you do take a deep breath and you're just super thankful. I remember we went on a duck hunt a couple months ago and our neighbor Colin came and um, it was like pulling teeth trying to get him to come that morning, you know. He was feeling but a little sick. I'll have his he back. He was, but <laughs> the moment he got behind that duck blind and sat next to us, he was like, man, thank you so much for bringing me out here, you know, and that's kind of what it's all about. We've loved, you know, exposing our friends and family to our farm and the outdoors. And, um, you know, we spent this last Easter with my family out there, uh, and our two nephews were fishing and we roasted hot dogs over the fire and, um, it was just a really great experience to be able to um, provide the farm and the outdoors to my family who lives in the city. So Yeah, we were trying to tally up how many people we were able to impact or have out to the farm or yeah. indirectly maybe share that with someone. And I can't remember what it was, but it was like over 20 people yeah. or uh-huh. something like that. It's kind of kind of wild when you think about it because yeah. um, that's always been a huge motivating factor for me. And if y'all have listened to some of the other episodes, you've probably heard me talk about this, but somebody was gracious enough to share their land and their outdoor lifestyle with me. And I look back on had they not done that, how different my life would be. Mm -hmm. And so I was always motivated to own a piece of my own land one day to be able to not only share it with my family, but as many other people as I possibly could, you know, and, uh, you've got to be alongside that. And that's been awesome getting to share it with your friends and your family, people Mm -hmm. outside of my network that I never knew could love it. Um, the way that I do. So it's been really awesome. What's been your favorite thing to hunt so far? Ooh, I love duck hunting. Um, the process, you wake up at 3.30, 4 o'clock, depending on where you're driving to. And Hardcore guys wake up at like midnight and 2. Well, they are probably 20 <laughs> years old and have the adrenaline and energy of 20-year-olds. Maybe. So, um, but the whole process of duck hunting, um, you know, you get layered up, you put your waders on, you put decoys out, and then the most previous duck hunt we went on was the North Canadian River. And we were sitting there the the sun was getting ready to you know come up and it was like 701 it was like 30 seconds before illegal light and i remember your brother matt was counting down because there were ducks flying everywhere and landing right in front of our face and it was the most beautiful sight it was so cool but my favorite hunt was what we just went on um last weekend few days ago, we went to New Mexico, just outside of Cloudcroft, and we went elk hunting. Um, That was a very quick experience, 
but definitely the coolest experience because we started from zero. We went and glassed on top of a mountain and spotted cow elk through binoculars and your spotting scope with your good friend, Brayden, um, who guided us. And then we went back down the mountain. I'm not very good at telling this story, so I won't go into details. Um, but we ended up, I ended up shooting an elk um, at 8 o'clock that morning. And then eight hours later, seven hours later, you ended up shooting one that afternoon. So we were definitely blessed. Um, and it was just a really cool experience. Yeah, and that was your first big game animal ever. Yeah. Was killing that elk. And mm -hmm. so what did you think when you walked up to that thing? I mean, you've seen some deer and obviously uh, a duck is <laughs> a duck. A duck, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I mean, what did you think when you walked up to the elk? Like, I mean, I, we've got the video or I've got a video of her facial expressions and her reactions, so maybe we can throw that into this podcast, but yeah. like what was going through your mind? Well, you know, 15, 20 minutes before you and Brayden found it, we were trying to look for the blood trail, and we couldn't find one. Um, and so my hopes were down. I was like, man, we're, we're not going to find her. Even though we saw her go down and kind of get back up and slowly walk away, uh, we knew she was hurt and knew I made a pretty good shot, but we weren't positive. And so I, I saw Brayden. I didn't see him wink at you, but I saw him look at you. And then he was like, hey, go on up around here. And then I saw your face and I was like, oh my gosh, they found it. And so when I was walking up, it just looked like a ginormous fuzzy rock, if you will, because it was kind of up the hill yeah. or up the mountain. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. I was kind of in shock. I couldn't really believe that I actually accomplished that. Like you said, it was my first big game and big game kill. And so it was, it was awesome. It was really cool. So on the elk hunt, I mean, was it the kill? Was it packing the meat out? Was it dropping it off at the processor afterwards? I mean, what do you like the most about that whole experience? Um, it was probably everything. I mean, I camped as a young child, um, but I have not camped at all through, you know, since I was probably nine or so. And so it was the whole camping experience. You know, we got to stay in a big wall tent and we had cots and a little heater and we were probably so we were spoiled. Practically glamping. We were probably spoiled, <laughs> but <laughs> we still were cold. Um, my non-favorite memory was probably trying to take that shower in 25 degree weather, but it was very refreshing, like a cold plunge. Um, but I would say just everything um, from, you know, spotting the, the elk to shooting it, which I just remember being so shaky and I just had to take a couple of deep breaths and I said a quick prayer just for God to calm my nerves and to just give me strength to follow through with this and, and then tracking it down and packing it out. That was pretty fun to throw it on your back and hike back down the mountain. But then to actually pack it up in the coolers and take it to the processor and to know how much meat we will have for the next year is truly amazing. Like It's the biggest blessing. I've had countless people say, okay, invite me over for dinner. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I got to be honest. One of my favorite parts of that was getting the meat packed down into the truck and then making a bomb sandwich. 
That was a good sandwich. But if it, I don't think <laughs> shout if out it, to Braden for having like unlimited meats and cheeses, elk meats yeah. and cheeses and pickles and pickled onions. Uh-huh. I mean, that was like one of the best sandwiches I think I've ever had. After <laughs> it wasn't a long pack out job, but a pack out job nonetheless. That was good. But I will say, if it wasn't for that long sandwich break and just like reminiscing on what had just happened, we might not have ran into the group of elk that you ended up killing one of the, I think one of the leaders of the pack. So is that the right term? The, pack? <laughs> the, the lead cow of the herd. Okay. <laughs> one darn. of the leaders of the pack. I took her out folks. That's a, that's one of those add that definitions. To the yeah. I'll yeah. add it to the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. So we just got done talking about, her hunt and eating a sandwich and we were headed out on this forest service road and um to make a long story short we bumped into some elk made a play on them and i was able to harvest one before we even left the timber before it was was, dark yeah Yeah. well we were packed out and leaving before it was dark Mm and we were at the local uh restaurant bar eating dinner that night just a little after dark you know it was it was cool we had the meat hung up and uh, we got to just enjoy the rest of the trip, which was awesome. But uh, for sure, that's a special, special memory. Uh, that was my first elk, too. I've been hunting for the majority of my life now, but I haven't had the opportunity to harvest an elk yet. And so I'm a little salty, not really, but that you actually killed an elk before <laughs> I did. Uh, but it wasn't long after. It makes so. it really special that we harvested on the same day, too, for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Too. Yeah, so tell us about, we went to Mexico for our honeymoon, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, Uh and we had the privilege of going fishing out on the ocean, and it was a really cool experience, great time. Yeah. Tell us about it. Okay. I've always wanted to go deep sea fishing, and like I said earlier, I grew up kind of fishing at ponds and stuff with my grandpas and my brothers, and um. So we signed up for this six-hour fishing trip, and the that morning or even the day before, we were asking a few people, like, yeah, like, how's the fishing, you know, the next few days or whatever? And they're like, oh, it's oh, all right. It's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. <laughs> it wasn't. Like, we oh didn't boy. get confident answers, <laughs> and so um, the first three hours, we, you know, things weren't really looking good. We did see... Um, you know, a lot of dolphin. We saw some whales and we saw some big turtles who were mating. We saw a couple of big old sea tortoises getting it on. They were, yeah. That was really neat. Um, we want them to multiply. Just to see, <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't need any more endangered sea turtles. <laughs> right. Yeah. Save um, the sea turtles. Yes. Let them do their thing. We just drove by them. <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, I think we scared them off too, but that's okay. Um, so... We were, you know, just enjoying the scenery and looking at the mountains. And all of a sudden you hear that, like a a fish got on the line. And Mm -hmm. so you told me that I was going to go first. How'd that sound go? (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) So, um, so I jumped up and kind of ran to the back of the boat and, um, the captain and his, his co-captain or partner, whatever, they were, you know, speaking Spanish to each other. And I sat down and he handed the rod to me and he was like, reel. And so I was like reeling it in. And And I don't know if y'all have ever been on a fishing trip with a couple of um, 
Mexican crew members yelling back and forth at each other. And like, it is exhilarating. Yeah, it I mean, is. You got no idea what they're saying. Even if you speak a little bit of Spanish, they're just running a million miles an hour and they're mm-hmm. shouting back and forth at each other. And yeah. not in a bad way, just uh, they're just as excited as we are. And they're, that's their livelihood. So they're trying to make sure everything goes right. But right. I'm telling you, it was it was wild listening to them go back and forth. Well, and so you were videoing me doing this. And so like watching the video back, I could hear him giving me instructions because you were relaying them too. But his accent was so strong that I couldn't really tell if he was talking to me. And so as I'm reeling, he's like, pull back. And then you're like, pull back, babe. And so like I'd pull it back and it was a mahi-mahi. So you kind of see it surface and I'm reeling and then it gets closer to the boat and it starts going wild. I mean, jumping, you see the beautiful colors and his, uh, his partner was trying to hook it. And you know, they are just yelling in Spanish and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so finally, like, I mean, he was jumping. I didn't, I didn't think that he was going to be pulled into the boat cause he was jumping so crazy. So he, the guy finally hooked him and pulled him in and this mahi-mahi was 48 inches long, and I just remember, and it's the same face that I made when I saw the the elk, but I was like, oh, my gosh, he's huge. Yeah, so he told us, and I haven't had the chance to validate this, so for all you fact-checkers out there, maybe you can find this out, but he told us the record in Puerto Vallarta for a mahi-mahi was 54 inches. I know they get bigger than that, but that's what he said in that bay there, mm-hmm. and hers was 48 inches, so a super respectable fish. And he said that was the biggest mahi-mahi that he personally had seen caught that season. Right. So, um, so we're feeling pretty good about right. that, right? I mean, we were we were both on high. Like you were just as excited as I was. Absolutely. And, um, if that was going to be the only fish, like we would we would be happy about that. And so you know, maybe like forty five minutes goes by. You forgot about when he's like here. Shot of tequila. Oh, he did say that. And, uh, oh, it, yes. He it pulls was out like a this bottle. little homemade flask uh-huh. or bottle of uh, tequila. And yeah. we're just he like, well. Like, Here, homemade, take some. And we were like, okay. Bottoms and, up, you celebrate know, if, the mahi-mahi. If you haven't been to Mexico, they have tequila everywhere. I mean, everywhere. They're just like, hey, you want a shot of tequila? Hey, you want a margarita? And we're like, okay, sure. Um, and so... That was caught. We were excited. We got had the tequila. And then like 30, 45 minutes later, we hear the zzz. And so you jump up, jump, run it's to the back. It's probably closer to, or go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I don't know how long Are you long talking about the tuna? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to skip that. All right. No. So um, he runs to the back and reels and he's like, oh, this feels kind of light. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you reel in a tuna and you're like, oh, dad gummit. It, it you was know? like yeah, it was, maybe a foot long, <laughs> right? like a foot and a half long. It was like, still cool that. Oh, <laughs> man. So I, I'm the guy that catches the little tuna and my wife, my new wife, she just caught a 48 inch mahi mahi. Like, what am I supposed to do? Mount the tuna next to that thing? <laughs> So, and we had already determined we were going to mount your mahi-mahi because of yeah. how special of a fish it was and to preserve that memory. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, you want the tuna? And I'm like, no, you can just throw the tuna back. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, maybe like another hour goes by or something, and it's like 30 minutes until we're done fishing. And so he decides to change from whatever he had on my line. It was a lure or something, a, a big hook. Yeah to live bait for you so he changes the live bait and and we were on live bait first thing that morning yeah 
and hadn't caught anything for the three hours. And then when he switched to the lure, that's when you caught your mahi mahi. Mm -hmm. And then the lure lost its good luck, I guess. And then he went back to live bait. Right. So he changed to live bait and he kind of just trucked along. You know, we were headed towards uh, the port where we took off and uh, we're like, man, like, it's a bummer. Like, we caught a mahi-mahi, but I really wanted... We were not bummed at all. Or at least I no, wasn't, because I was well, fired up that you had caught up, a fish. But I also wanted you to experience, like, the exhilaration of, like, catching the fish, you know? Because you were excited to deep-sea fish just as much as I was. And so we, you know, we were just looking at the ocean and admiring. I think we had just saw whales at that point, And then we hear a, a loud <laughs> like... I don't know One more how. Time. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm like, babe, go! And so you run, but then like the yelling, the Spanish and the yelling got loud and like very intense. And we like just looked at each other, like, what is going on? So the captain, the, his partner caught the pole, right? And mm-hmm. so then the captain realizes that there was a huge backlash in the reel. Mm-hmm. So he takes the pole, and he was a little guy. He was probably like five four, you know, five three, five I, six. No, yeah. maybe he, okay. Yeah, he was a small guy though, <laughs> and so the the fish pulled him to the back of the boat, dang near like over the boat, and um, we were like, okay, so what is he about to do? Because he was like trying to hold the pole, but trying to fix the backlash, and then all of a sudden, he. He, uh, like grabbing onto the line, he cuts the line and goes, amigo, you reel by hand. And we were like, what? So here you are, no gloves, reeling in this fish for seven minutes. I videoed, I had to stop the video three times because it was so long. For seven minutes, you're trying to reel this fish in. And I just remember him saying like, don't wrap the line, don't wrap the line. And I'm like, well, it probably would hurt him. Little did we know it could have cut your fingers off. (laughs) Um, And so you're pulling in this fish like super carefully because if you drop the line, the fish is gone. Yeah. And so I remember um, just like the tangleness and like all of the knots. There was line everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, it was hundreds of yards that you pulled into the boat for seven minutes. I feel like that's pretty good time. That might be like a Guinness World Record or it, something. Hey, you know? it could be. <laughs> and so I remember the fish like coming to the surface and you could see like kind of the silver color of it. And the captain was like, it's a Jack Caravel. It's a Jack Caravel. And we were like, cool. What is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so they, uh, your fish, I mean, it put up a fight, but it didn't jump or anything. Like he Once was, it got to the boat. Right. He was able to hook it immediately and pull it in. And... Like, you were so excited, and um, he was like, man, this fish is the hardest fighting fish in the ocean. Like, it's known to be, like, tenacious and one of the strongest fish. Yeah, pound Pound for pound, pound, it's supposedly the hardest fighting fish in the ocean, and Mm -hmm. they're known for their tenacious personality, I guess you could say. Yeah, kind of like you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly like me. So you caught the beautiful fish with pretty colors, and uh, I caught the the fighter and the the crazy fish, Uh I guess you could say. Stubborn. Yeah, stubborn. Stubborn, that's right. Um, And I remember when he first grabbed that pole and he was trying to 
stabilize himself so that the fish didn't pull him in over the boat. Mm -hmm. And then he was trying to untangle this line. And as a fisherman, like, you know what's going on. You're like, okay, buddy, what's your play now? Like, how are you going to fix this? And when he cut that line, I was just like, oh, no. Oh. (laughs) And so I just pulled that thing by hand. And I can remember thinking to myself, because he wouldn't let me wrap it around my hands for Mm -hmm. leverage, because he probably didn't want me to get pulled in or cut my hands. And I put that line between like my fingertips and the, the palm of my hand, and I would squeeze it as hard as I could almost to prevent it from like sliding because mm-hmm. I didn't have gloves on or anything. Yeah. I was pulling this line in by hand. And then when we finally get the fish in, he's like, Oh, I thought you were going to cut off your fingers. And I'm like, Literally, I was what? like, What? Why did you? <laughs> yeah. Why'd you let him do that? And so, like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have hesitated either way. I would have probably still risked it because I wasn't about to let that fish go. Right. We knew it was a good fish. And uh, we got it into the boat, and he was like, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing fish. And I was like, well, how good? you know?" And I was skeptical mm-hmm. on your fish, and I was skeptical on my fish because I was like, okay, these guys got us out here. Let's get the Americans to pay for taxidermy, you know, like the biggest fish I've caught all season, you know, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And he's like, the record in Puerto Vallarta is 41 inches, and my fish was 40 inches. Yeah, it was a little over 40. And so I'm thinking the first thing I think is, oh, no, two taxidermy bills. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, this is our honeymoon. We're only going to go on one. This is our fishing trip on our honeymoon. There's never going to be another one of those. What better way to preserve this memory, you know? So uh, they took him, and we're getting them mounted, and we just had a call with the taxidermy shop the other day, and they're going to be side-by-side as a cool way of preserving that memory. But, yeah, he was like, I've never seen anybody catch a fish by hand like that. And it was just... Just and then they, there came the tequila. You yeah. take a shot. Yeah, and what was funny is we got the tequila bottle back from earlier, which was like three hours ago, and there was only like a little bit left. There was like so one sip left, the, and I was these like... These guys were <laughs> slipping some tequila on us without yeah. us knowing, and uh, so we took the rest of the tequila, and I mean, we were just amped up as could be after that. It was yeah. so cool. The one bummer, I will say, I guess not really a bummer because other people benefited from it, but we... Typically, you can, when you do catch fish like that, uh, we were staying at an all-inclusive resort, and they could have um, chopped up the fish and given it to us so that we could eat it that night, Um, and at the resort, they would prepare it for us, but because we went, like, two days before we were leaving, and the next day, we were pretty booked with another tour and adventure, and so... The cool thing in Puerto Vallarta is if you're not able to eat the fish or take it back home with you, they donate it to the local orphanage. So I thought that was really awesome, especially because yeah. mahi-mahi is awesome fish to eat. So. Yeah. Yeah, we discovered some mahi-mahi like a couple, two, three days into the trip mm-hmm. at one of the restaurants in the resort, and we were like, oh, my gosh, this is delicious. So yeah, we were happy to be able to donate the meat to a local orphanage, though. That was really cool mm-hmm. uh, that they do that. So. That was our uh, our fishing honeymoon experience. It was a cool one. Yeah. Well, what's next? What do you want to do next now? We've never even talked about this, so I don't know about that. Uh, oh, you've hunted ducks, deer, geese, elk. You've fished in the ocean. I mean, 
as I'm going through all this, man, you've had a pretty good life since meeting me. But <laughs> a little over a year, it's been pretty good. <laughs> I mean, what do you want to do next, babe? Um, I'd like to have a successful turkey hunting trip because our I last forgot about the turkey trip. trip. We don't have to go into details. Oh yeah, we're telling that story now. But that's not fair because I was really new at. Yeah, well, it's a good story. <laughs> so. Uh, do you want me to tell it from my point of view? Yes, because I'm not interject? very good at telling hunting okay. stories. I forgot about this. So we go on this turkey hunt, and uh, one of our agents was gracious enough to invite us down, and he's like, you can stay at my ranch house, and um, this is in Oklahoma. You guys come, kill you a couple turkeys, have a ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we took him up on it, and you'd never been turkey hunting to that point i mean you'd heard maybe a few gobbles out at the farm we don't have a lot of turkeys out at the farm that we that we own um so anyways we go down and we have turkey camp and ironically Braden, who guided us on our uh new mexico elk hunt he was there to shoot a turkey because he had never um, killed a turkey like that before either Mm -hmm. so we're hunting and we couldn't find any birds. And he was like, well, did you check this little piece of land that, that I've got? And I was like, Oh, I didn't know that was yours. And he's like, yeah, let's, let's go take a look at it. We're riding around with him and we come up over this bluff. I'll never forget it. It's just like, we come up to this bluff and look over down in the bottom and there's just strutters everywhere. And this was, they were getting ready to go roost. And so we just watched them kind of mosey off into the timber and I had a rough idea of where we should set up the next day, but this is all new country to me, so I didn't know for sure. So we get out there nice and early, get set up in this this tree row, and I'm not hearing anything. And I'm like, okay, I know these birds are somewhere. And finally, the, I let out a few little tree yelps on my slate call, just ever so softly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many different birds fired up, there was at least four. At least four. And there was some on our left and some on our right. And there was like one like kind of right behind us too. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh. And so we're right in them. And yeah. I'm like, oh, this is about to be good. And for any of you that know me, turkey hunting is my favorite. I yeah. love turkey hunting. And I'm like, they are in for a treat, you know, because Julia had never really experienced it. Braden hadn't either, despite him being an incredible hunting guide for other animals. And so um, these birds pitched down after they'd been hammering back and forth at each other. Just these birds would gobble, and then these birds would gobble, and they'd gobble again, and they'd go back and forth. So they pitched down out of the trees, and they're in this uh, hay field, this stubble field in front of us, and they're just full strut. And we've got decoys out in front of us, and they come in, and I think they threw out a couple gobbles on their way in, mm-hmm. and I'm just letting them work. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the prettiest thing I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. And uh, other than you, babe. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, had to throw that in there. But anyways, <laughs> so these turkeys are coming in, and I'm like, oh, this is about to be good. We're about to double up. This is going to be awesome. And uh, you can hear them spitting and drumming. And for those of you who've never turkey hunted, a spit drum is its a sound that a turkey makes. And you can only hear it when they're really close. It's a mm-hmm. very low pitch, I guess, low frequency sound. It kind of sounds something like, 
I was hoping you would do it. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I had to at least give it a try. And uh, when you hear that, you know they're close. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, all right, whenever you're ready. And we'd already kind of pre-planned that Braden was going to shoot after you. Yeah. And uh, Which was, I'm not going to lie, a little bit of pressure on myself. Yeah. But that's you're okay. Right. I probably could have done a little better and maybe coming up with a different plan to make that a little easier on you. Yeah, but anyways, okay. so she shoots. She misses. Braden shoots. He misses. And then these gobblers, you know, mosey off. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And uh, so we're sitting there. Julia's so mad. And she talked earlier about she's competitive. We haven't talked yet about how your whole life you've been an athlete, played sports growing up. I mean, even still, you're super competitive. You get really into stuff and and let me tell you folks she is uh one heck of an athlete gives me a run for my money at just about anything Dang so, right. <laughs> so i just got you this beretta beautiful semi-automatic beretta uh for duck season so you had it a few months mm-hmm. i'll never forget she's so mad she takes this beretta and just stuffs it in the dirt like like just throws it off of her lap in disgust that she just missed this turkey. And I'm trying to keep my cool. I look at her. I was like, you do not do that. I was like, I'm sorry. And uh, so like my first reaction was like to like to want to be mad. But then I like calmed down and I picked up the gun and I showed her and I was like, look, you just stuffed this gun barrel full of mud. Yeah. That would be real. That could be really bad if you mm-hmm. go to shoot again and you didn't realize that. And so, anyways, we had a little teaching moment there. We did. You learned not to throw your Beretta. Uh, <laughs> or and, any type uh, of gun. Or any yes. type of gun. And um, and she didn't literally throw it. She just kind of shoved it off of her lap in disgust. Right. But um, so we're just sitting there trying to devise a plan. We'd been hunting really hard and not seeing any birds. And so everybody was kind of kind of down. And I was like, oh, it's okay. We'll get on some. And about that time... Um, I look out in the field, and here comes two birds, like, from way across the field. And I'm like, oh, those have got to be male birds. I couldn't see what they were at the time, if they were toms or what. Well, it turns out they were a couple of jakes, and they are sprinting at us. They they had heard our calls before, I'm assuming, and then maybe had made eye contact with the decoys. And, I mean, they are just running in. And I'm like, get ready, get ready. And, uh... So you guys get ready again. Long story short, you shoot, miss again, and then Braden shoots, and he's able to kill the bird, uh-huh. uh, which was awesome. But that right there was a pivotal, pivotal moment for you early in your hunting career because like, you got to experience really only highs up until that point mm-hmm. of shooting ducks and right. like watching deer and putting out corn and like all these things. And then you experienced your first like super low of you just missed two turkeys and we were, you know, three hours from home and you were just like, Oh my gosh. And I was like, babe, that's part of hunting. You're going to learn. There are so many highs and lows in this sport. If you want to call it that, um, it is, 
the highs are better than anything you've ever experienced playing sports and the lows hurt worse than the worst loss you can think of, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and you were just like, okay. Like, I don't think you really knew at the time or you didn't want to believe it, but like hunting's hard Mm -hmm. and those lows just sting when you don't connect or when something goes wrong. And it is such a mental battle to stay sharp and to be ready for that next opportunity because you never know when it's going to come knocking. Right. So did that about sum it up? Yeah, that was good. And I did have my first like wild turkey. Like we fried it up that night. We had like turkey bites. Yeah. And that was really fun. Yeah, little turkey nuggets. We call them turkey bites. Mm -hmm. Um, That's our favorite or my favorite way to eat wild turkey. And a lot of people will try to tell you that wild turkey is tough, and that's not the case at all. No. It's how you prepare it for any any wild game. Yeah, you've learned that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, You've actually really taken a liking to cooking wild game and started looking up some recipes and things like that. So. What does it mean to you to be able to now feed our family with wild game and to spice it up in the kitchen and uh-huh. uh, make different recipes and stuff like that? Well, I I love cooking. I grew up with grandmothers and my mom who loved to cook too. And um, it's just a different experience when you get to bring meat home or see meat being brought home from you and um, – you know, preparing it and then kind of looking up a recipe of, of how to make it. And I'm still learning. Um, I think I've gotten ground venison down pretty well. Cause it's just like, you know, if you're cooking ground beef, but, um, it's, it's definitely been a learning experience, but it's, it's so satisfying and you just can't help but thank God for giving us these animals and providing, you know, the meat for us. And, um, helping us have successful hunts and being able to fill our freezer too. Yeah. And, and providing it to other people, you know, we, we give it to Mark next door, um, out at our farm and, you know, we give him duck and he gives us crappie, uh-huh. you know, and, um, we can just provide meals for everyone. People come over, you know, after a big duck hunt and we debreast the ducks and make poppers, yeah. you know, out of that. So there's so many things that we can make and create from the meat that we bring home. So. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, there's somebody else who cooks with wild game a lot and uh, gets to experience some of these outdoor adventures. Tell everybody about, you've got a little woman crush. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who you were going to bring up. <laughs> um, I do, yeah. Uh, Eva Shockey's my girl. She doesn't know it, but... Uh, Eva, if you hear this <laughs> by chance... This woman here is more obsessed with you than she is me. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. Um, I started following her when you had mentioned her a few times that she was a big woman in the outdoors and she's a big hunter and a family woman, a woman of God. And, um, but when I got her bow, when we, when you bought me her bow and I started shooting bows for the first time and then. So not literally her bow, but. Yeah. Bowtech makes the Eva Shockey bow. Yes. And then after you got that bow, you were just, you went down an Eva Shockey rabbit hole. And I did. <laughs> I mean, I have her pillows on our couch. <laughs> like, um, she has a, a great storefront uh, called Eva and Co. And um, I really look up to her. 
as a, a new woman hunter and a family woman and a, a woman of God. And, uh, she seems like a, a pretty awesome person and she's someone, someone who I look up to. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I bring that up just because we all have role models and people that we look up to in the outdoors and you never know when you're going to be that person for someone else. I mean, of course, Eva's very popular and very famous and a lot of uh, hunters, especially women hunters look up to her, but Mm -hmm. now you might be that person for someone. I don't know about that. I mean, really? (laughs) That would be pretty cool. You know, you never know who's watching. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we have nephews and uh, they're very curious. And, you know, you just have like friends. Like I think about Diane, for example. Yeah. And she is like so interested in hearing about the turkey hunts and uh, some of the different stories. She came to the farm with us. Yeah, yeah, Took her out on the paddle boat and we caught a few fish and... Um, yeah, that's been really fun to kind of introduce my friends who have not been, maybe not been exposed to the outdoors. And I have a few college friends who, uh, you met, some of them you met for the first time at our wedding. Um, and they can't wait to come out to the farm and experience what you have created for us, what we've created for us in, in our lives. And now we get to, now I get to expose my friends who don't know anything, you know, maybe about the outdoor lifestyle. So, yeah. What would you say to someone, babe, who maybe they uh, don't yet realize that they would take a liking to the outdoor lifestyle? Maybe they've been in the city their whole lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they don't have somebody to teach them or someone that they can look up to. Yeah. What would you tell those people? I would say, you know, if uh, if you have an interest or maybe a liking to step out of your comfort zone take a drive down that gravel road. Or if somebody, you know, shoots you an invitation to randomly go fishing or something like, don't be afraid to step out of the box that you're living in now, if you're just living in a little bubble and experience what God has created out there. Um, because it definitely changed my life, um, for the greater and frankly, everyone around me too. So, so, I think to wrap this up, I want to touch on that some more. You said it, it changed your life. Will you dive deeper into that? I mean, like, how really has it changed your life? It's just put a different perspective on um, my everyday life. I mean, I look forward to our outdoor adventures more than anything. Um, it's just a different lifestyle for the greater, 100%, that um, – it's so peaceful and just being in nature and seeing the creations every single day that God has provided for us. Um, it's just unlike anything else in the world, you know? And so, yeah. How do you feel that you've grown as a person because of the outdoors? Uh, I definitely have grown my, my patience with, you know, hunting and being exposed to different realities and stuff and, um, just different, um, goals that I have now for our life and for our kids. And <laughs> used to be like, what Gucci purse nah. could I have? <laughs> okay. First and of all, no, <laughs> I know you're not like that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just joking. No. Um, I would choose our life and living in the country over anything, you know, it's just, it's just a different lifestyle. 
that's just so calming and it's just kind of hard to explain, you know? So do you feel like you are stronger in your faith or maybe have a more intimate connection with God than you did prior to being in the outdoors? Absolutely. Um, You know, we met, I was 31, you were 30. And so we were a little bit older, I guess, if you will, um, in meeting. And I knew that God had that special man for my life. I didn't know when he was going to bring him into my life, but I knew that he knows the desires of my heart and what I want for my life and my future family. And he brought me you, but that also God knew that I wanted to be in the outdoors and living kind of that country lifestyle of gardening and just being outdoors and having land and stuff and having dogs run around. And um, and so when he brought me you, he knew that I loved the lifestyle that you were bringing to our family. So did that answer your question? I think so. Okay. I think so. I mean, outside of your faith, do you feel like you've grown in any other ways because of it? I mean, you said patience. Um, obviously you've learned a ton. I, you teach me something every day. Like I was kind of reminiscing on the drive here of what all you have taught me. And like, you've taught me how to hook up a trailer to a truck, how to drive a truck with a trailer, which I'm not, I don't like, but you did teach me that anyways. Uh, it's very intimidating, you know, being introduced to things that you're not used to, but, um, it's, it's just been amazing learning new things of outside of my bubble that I kind of grew up in and what I was like before I met you. Um, you've taught me so much um, and how to, you know, make a fire outside. And I don't know. I, I can't really think of more things, <laughs> well, but like no, there's that, just there's been great. so much that you've taught me. And, and the reason I'm, I'm poking harder at this is because notice – You've described so many things and uh, so many different memories, and not one of them has been like, yeah, I loved killing that animal. Or, like, people have this perception of hunting as you go out and you kill animals for fun. And this entire conversation we've been having, like, it's not been about the kill. It's been about everything leading up to it and everything leading after it. Mm-hmm. And what do I always tell you? We pray to God to make as quick and clean and ethical of a kill as yeah. we possibly can as hunters. And the unfortunate reality is, is that you're not going to make a perfect shot every time you go to harvest an animal, but it's always your goal to. Mm-hmm. And um, I w- that's why I was poking, because I want people to really know and understand that there's so much more to hunting in the outdoors than mm-hmm. just killing. And this this is not a hunting podcast. This is the Tide to the Land podcast where we talk about whatever it is that we enjoy about being on the land. And for some folks, that's not hunting, and that's perfectly yeah. okay. And I, I think that's great as long as you get to connect with the land and connect with God on the land and you get to have some of your own memories and experiences and to share those with other people. That's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you touching on, uh, a clean ethical kill. I remember a couple months ago, I sat in the deer stand by myself for the first time and you were in another deer stand on the farm. And, um, 
the deer haven't been cooperating much with us or didn't uh, during the season. And so we were trying to divide and conquer. And um, I'm very new at bow hunting. And so up to this point, still haven't gotten a deer with my bow. And so I remember sitting in the stand and um, like just hearing nothing, like the peace and quiet of nothing. And all of a sudden I heard the crunching of leaves and I knew it was a deer. And so the deer came in. I think it was, um, it was a buck. Um, and he came into the feeder and I missed, I ended up drawing back and, and missed the deer, but I am thankful that I did because it was a clean, you know, miss. And mm-hmm. so that's what you want. You either want a clean ethical kill or you want a clean miss um, because we don't just hunt to hunt. We hunt to provide meat for our family and to put in our freezer so that we can prepare meals. Um, so anyways. Yeah, I remember. And that was just another moment where you came to me and we were texting, of course, and you were frustrated and sad and yeah. ready to give up bow hunting. And <laughs> I mean, just like everybody, we've all been there. And uh, I said, babe, thank the Lord for a clean miss because yeah. that animal's not suffering. Right. Um, it's going to mosey off and forget what just happened, you know? So mm-hmm. um, there's always something to be learned. And that's what I love about you. You have a, a thirst for learning, uh, especially as it relates to hunting in the outdoors. And it has uh, just made my life so enjoyable. And I hope that everybody gets to experience that with someone, whether it's a buddy, whether it's your dad, your friend, your spouse, whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, hope you get to experience what we've got to experience together over the last year and a half or so. And, uh, it's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Babe, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is the Tide to the Land podcast. I'm Andrew. This is my wife, Julia. We're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. That's all we've got on today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And for those of you still listening, we're asking for your support. Recently, a good friend and colleague of ours, Cal Hardy, he lost his brother Brooks in a tragic hunting accident. They've established a foundation in his honor and in his memory. It's called the Brooks Hardy Foundation. The foundation strives to create awareness for hunter safety and for the safety of outdoorsmen. If you guys would, please click on the link in the description. Go support this cause. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much.